Welcome to Season 2 of IVF Tales. I'm your host, Simone. This podcast was created with the intention of making the world of infertility a little less lonely. Each episode will have a new guest share their IVF journey, sharing some of the most courageous, surprising, intimate and saddest moments of their lives. It's real and raw, it's IVF Tales. Thank you so much for joining me, Emma. My pleasure. (laughs) If you would like to just get us started by telling me a little bit about yourself and how your IVF journey started. Sure. Um, So I'm 30, I'm nearly 36. um, And our IVF journey started because my husband was diagnosed with cancer. Um, So we were trying to conceive naturally probably for about nine months prior to his diagnosis, um, but taking it fairly kind of easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I probably had started to think a little bit about um, being a bit more proactive about it, but we had a holiday to Tasmania planned. So I kind of thought, oh, maybe that'll be our <laughs> everyone's everyone tells you if you want to conceive to go on a holiday. It's the most useless information um, that anybody <laughs> ever gives. <laughs> Just Very relax true. and go on a holiday. Thanks yeah. so much, guys. Yeah, and in the <laughs> back of your mind, you're like, Yeah, I might get pregnant on this holiday. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing more relaxing on your holiday than wondering the entire time if you'll conceive. That's like, <laughs> very <laughs> um So we went to Tasmania and my husband had really bad heartburn and a range of other weird symptoms. Um, And it kind of took the shine off the holiday a little bit because we were starting to worry a bit about what was happening for him. And that would have been July. And then by August, he'd been diagnosed with stage four metastatic cancer. Wow. Which was absolutely terrifying. Of course. Um, and poor Adam had only, he'd retrained to be a primary school teacher. I'm a high school teacher. And he got the diagnosis after he'd started a block. Um, and he was like two weeks in, I think, at that point. So it was, um, we really felt like it was the beginning of our new life post his postgrad studies. And then suddenly we were dealing with this incredibly terrifying um diagnosis and prognosis so um, we had to make a decision very early on in the piece about researching and understanding what our options were in terms of preserving Adam's sperm because um, obviously he was getting a really rigorous regime of chemotherapy Mm -hmm. so um, by this stage Adam was incredibly sick so he went from displaying basically no symptoms to to very through a very rapid deterioration so I sort of took the reins on working out what might need to happen and in what order and so I found a bulk billing clinic IVF clinic at the time that I was actually looking at the uh, preservation of the sperm Mm -hmm. so it kind of was in the back of my mind at that point but then because Adam got so sick so quickly it kind of just disappeared like I, I can remember once we knew what Adam's treatment regime was going to be, and he ended up being enrolled in clinical 
trial. And just so everyone can relax while they're listening to this, he's thriving, he's currently cancer-free. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, I was going to ask you that, but I thought I'd, yeah, wait for the right time. So yeah. that's really great to hear. <laughs> that's so awesome. Um, so, but at that point we were absolutely reeling and trying to get our heads around what our lives were going to look like and because his prognosis was so grim it just seemed impossible to even kind of start to countenance the idea of IVF treatments and one of my girlfriends and only one of my girlfriends up until that point very good girlfriends had been through it um, and I knew how exhausting it was emotionally exhausting and taxing it was so I was really sort of it was just beyond me and my I can remember my mother-in-law asking me you know from a very loving place early on she knew we'd preserved Adam's sperm and she asked me if I'd thought about freezing my eggs and I had this very visceral response like I was just like I cannot even fathom the idea of going through it so that was at the end of 2019 um and then Adam fortunately had a really amazing response to his treatment and even though things were still very scary the um kind of the way that he had declined started to improve and our lives started to gain some sense of sort of normalcy again and I felt like our future opened up in front of us a bit more as well because I mean by at the point that that he was diagnosed we were talking about would he we were praying that he would live through Christmas 2019 and wow. so it was impossible to kind of imagine that we would end up where we've ended up at the time. Of course, yeah. So You're just trying to get through the next few months and not even think about making totally. babies or was, anything. Yeah, and it was almost this weird like precipice where Adam was diagnosed and then it was like a – it segued into – what's been a crazy two years for everybody, right? So there was that, it was that summer that we had the crazy bushfires. So we were sort of housebound and Adam was incredibly sick because he was having intravenous chemotherapy. So that Christmas and summer was really intense and really strange. And then that sort of morphed into COVID, the first round of COVID mm-hmm. lockdowns and everything. Yep. Um, And then all the crazy things that have happened in the world since. So it was a really overwhelming time in like our little micro lives, but then it also became a very overwhelming time in terms of what was happening in our bigger macro world. So um, it would have been, I think, March by the time we felt ready to talk about, okay, like, you know, Adam's, Adam's feeling good, he's feeling better. We still had no sense of, how long that improvement would last or um, because in a clinical trial they really can't speculate because they just the reason you're in a clinical trial is because they don't know if you're going to respond really well or not Um, so we had less we still didn't have any kind of certainty but we had the sort of sense that Adam was better and that we had restored enough sort of normalcy in our lives to start thinking about whether or not we would try And I can remember Adam and I having a conversation early on. And because after he was diagnosed, we had to have all the terrifying conversations. So we had to do our wills. We had to talk about, okay, well, the sperm's been preserved. So what does that mean in terms of would I be able to access that if Adam passed away? And so we had to have those really heavy conversations very early on in the piece. 
and Adam had been very clear about the fact that he wanted me to be able to access that sperm, whether it was with him or if it was after he had passed. Um, so I think that for a lot of couples that are going through a cancer diagnosis and, a, and dealing with that, that, whether or not to have children and whether or not the person who's potentially going to be leaving their little family, um, that some people aren't comfortable with the idea of having children in that climate. But Adam didn't feel that way. I think he felt very much that I'd always imagined that I would be a mum at some point and that he wanted to facilitate that for me, sort of regardless of what was going to happen for us in the next couple of years. So um, in the March, we went and got the referral to the fertility specialist um, and we had to kind of sync it up with the clinic. So we, Adam got a referral from his GP and we went and started going through the process and we met with our fertility specialist, I think it was in the April of 2020. Um, and she was amazing, but she was also like, basically, look, we're weeks away from the hospital system. It was when they initially thought the hospital system was going to be completely overwhelmed. Um, and so she was saying, let's talk about this as though it's going to happen, but realistically, this might be months away. Mm -hmm. because it was all such a brave new world and no one knew what it was going to look like. So we were really excited when we had that initial consult with her. She was very pragmatic. She explained to us exactly what was involved. And because Adam had a limited supply of sperm frozen, she also told us that it would be ICSI right from the get-go. So we knew that that would be the way that the treatment would go. Um, and even though I had no prior well, known, I have no known fertility issues. Um, we've, I had to go through all the exploratory stuff still, so all the pelvic ultrasounds and that kind of stuff. Yeah, just so to double check. Until, yes, exactly. Um, because we hadn't conceived in that window of time before Adam's diagnosis as well. And I can remember going for the ultrasound and just naively thinking it would be external. <laughs> like, uh. I was like, oh, they'll just... Just wave the wand over my tummy, tummy. right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it was this really stern um, phenographer. Is that their their name? I don't know. Um, And she said, okay, now it's time to look inside. (laughs) I was like, "Um, um, I don't know if I'm prepared for that. (laughs) Sometimes I make Um, it really awkward and you're like, what do I do now? Yes. Um, so we did all of that and kind of crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's in the hope that that would mean that as soon as it got off the ground again, we could start treatment. Mm -hmm. But as it turned out, the wave that they were expecting to really crush the hospitals in that first instance didn't. So we ended up getting in, I think I went in in the May for my first retrieval, which was pretty amazing. considering what's since happened to I signed the petition the Victorian petition I don't know a couple of months ago that circulated because they'd shut their IVF treatment and I had this really strong response to it because I'd been so lucky and still been able to have treatment through our lockdowns of course um and then also of course I had to emotionally prepare for the reality that I was going to do all of it on my own so I was doing all of the appointments on my own Adam couldn't come to anything with me Mm -hmm. um 
So that was a lot. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we had our first retrieval the June, the May, May slash June of 2020. Yeah. I'm a new mum. Time is meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into detail of that first um, stim cycle, can we just backtrack for a second? We're just going to chat about Adam's sperm. <laughs> so, sure. <laughs> um, let him know that we're chatting about it. Um, so he would have had a sperm analysis. So all of that, like it was normal, there was plenty of sperm, it was um, – and do you know how many straws that were frozen? I'm pretty sure it was 16. Okay, yep. Um, and when they thawed it, they so uh, our specialist was concerned that there might be an issue with motility. Okay. That's that's the movement, right? Like how awake Correct. they are. Is yep. that right? Yeah, yep. okay. So she was a bit concerned that there might be some issues with motility, but she felt that that would be offset by the ICSI treatment anyway. But there yeah. was. She said that they woke up very sleepy, uh-huh. um, which, which, I mean, we don't know, but Adam was on crazy amounts of painkillers by mm-hmm. the time he had made the sperm deposit. Yep. Um, so it's very possible that that might have impacted that we're not sure because he'd had a sperm he'd ha- actually had his sperm analyzed maybe kind of four or five months into us trying to conceive oh okay and it was all and it all looked good yep um but I do remember that the first conversation we had with the specialist after we'd been through the one round is she reported that the motility the movement was low in the after the thawing uh-huh gotcha okay so hence but why she was the, like let's do ICSI exactly yeah cool and because there was only a certain amount of it she wanted to do that as well yeah not waste um, any time because I was thinking would would they have considered IUI but no it sounds like the best way was just ICSI create embryos and go from there yes yeah and I there was a reason with oh with the IUI it was literally that she was like I don't want to waste anything of course so yeah I because I asked her about that because one of my colleagues had told me that that's how they conceived their baby mm. and I knew that obviously it was less um intensive than the than the full IVF ICSI treatment but she essentially just said given that you were trying to conceive beforehand without any luck mm-hmm. it she, she just said you know I I think it's time. I think given your circumstances, you should just go the full, (laughs) the whole hog. (laughs) Yeah, sounds like a good plan. So do you just want to talk us through your first uh, STEM cycle? Yes. So um, I felt fine (laughs) for it. I think the first one I was pretty excited about it all. Yeah, everyone's Um, always excited. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, once you get over it, you then get excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I think as well it was just something for us to think about that wasn't about Adam being sick. Mm-hmm. So, And also Adam and I decided early on that we weren't going to tell our families because our poor families had been through the ringer so much with everything with his illness. And Adam and I just decided for ourselves that, 
we'd put them through enough and that we were hoping that it would just work and we'd be able to give them this beautiful good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was quite hard in lots of ways, but it also made sense for us. Um, and I think as well just because the pandemic was happening and everybody was just so overwhelmed, I was just very wary of adding anything more to anybody's plate. Um, and we'd called on our families so much during the initial diagnosis and everything that I, I don't know, I just felt like everyone was a bit maxed out at the time. And I think probably I also just felt like we'd been, we'd made all of these very private parts of our lives so public that, and, and Adam certainly felt this way, that this, we wanted to kind of protect this little bit of privacy around this particular part of our lives. So that's understandable. Um, but it was kind of nice because when we were doing the treatment and everything, it was like our little, you know, we're in a little bubble. Um, and I did tell my girlfriend who'd been through it um, because I thought I really practically needed at least one person to just be able to sort of vent to or ask questions or those sorts of things. So she was amazing and very happy to keep it um, between us. So, um we, I went through the first retrieval, uh, the first in cycle well. Um, I felt a normal amount of hormonal, I guess, without yep. getting pumped <laughs> full of them. Yeah. Um, but I had also resigned from my job just pre the pandemic because I had, I was in a leadership role and it was incredibly crazy busy. And just after going through what Adam and I had been through, I was like, this is too much. I'm never going to have a baby with this level of stress in my life because I was working like crazy. And then I had this stuff going on with Adam and I was like, I want to have a baby. I can do the career thing forever, but I can't, I can't have a baby forever. Um, so I was in a pretty good space in that I was very relaxed. I was able to do heaps of self care. Um, I had acupuncture, I just, I was very, very blessed in that I had all of these, all of this sort of space around me and time around me to really look after myself through it as well. Um, so we had the first retrieval and I think we got 13 eggs from the first retrieval. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so crazy. It was such a crazy experience because the hospital was so overstaffed because <laughs> they'd cancelled some elective surgeries with a view that everything was going to explode and then it was like everybody just came to the IVF clinic for that for that period of time so it was like it was just an exceptional amount of doctors and nurses at every single point of the process um so I and again I had to kind of go into the hospital on my own and do all of that on my own so that was a really interesting um experience as well Mm -hmm. So I went in for the um, retrieval and I'm, I think they got 13 eggs, seven fertilised, but I was also at risk of hyperstimulation. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that overstimulation? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and our specialist had already warned me that she had a very kind of, she, that she was very risk averse when it came to that. So if there was any indication of that, we'd do a freeze-all cycle. Okay. So we did do a freeze-all cycle and they froze them at day three. Um, so I think they had seven, they froze them at day three and then I waited until the following month to have the 
frozen transfer. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit of a downer because I, as anyone who's been through this journey knows, there's so much that goes into emotionally and psychologically psyching yourself up for the process. Yeah, and all um, you want to do, you just want to do a, a little... transfer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, no one wants to um, wait ever. We just want to get no. in, get in and do that transfer. <laughs> so to have to wait an extra month, <laughs> anyway. Exactly. And I, I joked with the anaesthetists when they did the, um, I don't think it's a general, but it felt like a general. So I can, I'm never clear on that. I think it was a general. Um, but when I was like, can you just do it and then just leave me under until <laughs> you know whether or not it's worked and then just wake me up and tell me one way or the other and I'll go home. But apparently they don't offer that. So I've said that so many funny. times to people. Um, <laughs> when you're in the two week wait, I'm like, can you just put me to sleep? And just wake me up on day eleven when you need me to do a blood check, blood test. <laughs> yeah, because it's and there's just it's no the worst. You, you cannot prepare, can you, for that two week wait? Like it feels like it lasts three months, mm-hmm. and it's just even if you go in mentally strong by the end of it, you're a mess. I that was my experience. I hope yeah. there's lots of listeners that didn't have that don't have that experience, but that was mine. Um, so we did the transfer. So I think they thawed four of our embryos for the transfer and only one survived and it was only at Marula Marula phase. Yep. So it hadn't reached blastocyst. Mm-hmm. But they were like, we're going to transfer it because sometimes it needs to go into a nice, cosy environment and then it might happen. Yeah. Um, and... It didn't, that that didn't take. But cruelly, I don't think I was prepared and I have since warned friends that have gone through it about just how pregnant the progesterone made me feel. Yes, yep. I'd never been pregnant before, so to be fair, I didn't have anything to compare it to, but I had just never felt like that before. Like I was so bloated and everything felt sensitive and my boobs felt huge and Mm -hmm. I just I really really thought I was pregnant and my husband thought I was pregnant and we were like we're gonna be the story of the people that have it and the first time works and that'll be amazing yeah Um, so did you do you test at home or do you wait for bloods um at the clinic that I went through they get they send you home with a test and then they tell you what day to test on oh wow okay it's really weird they never they don't do bloods Wow, that's so interesting. So, so you're told just to do the one test on a particular day, and if it was positive, then you'd come in and do a blood test, and if it was negative, then that's it. No, if you if it's positive, you don't even do the blood test. Oh, it's crazy, right? Wow, that is interesting. Yeah. And it's, um, they're like a very, (laughs) like, um, you know, no name brand pregnancy test. They send you home with two and they're not the fancy ones that say yes or no. They're just the very pared back version. Yeah. Um, and I, and I didn't test early, Mm -hmm. um, because I just couldn't stand the thought of getting a false reading and what that would do to my headspace so mm-hmm. I I managed to hold off until 
the day that I was supposed to test. Yep. Um, and then I tested and it was negative and I was pretty gutted because I felt so optimistic because I felt so different. Mm-hmm. We've all and been there. Out, yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I know. <laughs> um, especially if you don't – I don't know, actually. I've, I mean, I've had girlfriends since Stuart who've had the same experience and I just – I hate the progesterone. It makes me feel so rubbish and it has every time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wasn't prepared for how convincing <laughs> it would be. In, I know it's supposed to trick your body into thinking you're pregnant, but it definitely tricked my mind into thinking I was pregnant as well. Yeah. Um, and our specialist checked in with us after that first failed um, one, and she was lovely and very supportive. And she, but she's also like a very straight talker, and she basically said, "It's all fake news, Emma. Progesterone's really cruel. The drugs are really cruel. It's all fake news until you get a positive pregnancy test." Which I applied to my subsequent cycles as best as I could. Yep. Um, because it's, I think it's probably good advice, but it's, as everyone knows, you know, that's you can do that on day one of your two-week wait by, but by the time you're well into your second week, it, it's, it, all the good advice you've been given goes out the window, I think. Oh, for sure. You go crazy in those days. You, your mind, <laughs> honestly, I could do a whole episode on on the two-week wait and how crazy it is. It's, yeah, it's totally next level and no one will ever understand unless they've gone through it themselves. What happens, and you I, know, physically, mentally, it's just insane. And I really thought that I'd be fine. <laughs> fine. Like, I don't yeah. know. I was like... I've got this, like I I felt like I'd prepared, I'd listened to some of the IVF tales, like I had a sense of what people went through. So I was like, I'm gonna beat I'm gonna beat this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna buy in. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> next minute I'm Googling, you know, <laughs> early pregnancy. <laughs> oh, no. early pregnancy oh. <laughs> which is everything and nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've all um, done that Google search too. <laughs> What does it mean on day six? I feel this. What about day yeah. eight? And yeah, actually uh, probably the most sensible thing I ever did during one of the two-week waits was I downloaded a, I think it was an app, um, but it was a meditation, series of meditations for that period. Uh, was that, it an Irish um, actually, man yes. speaking? Yes. Yes. That was the best. I had that too. I do think it's super weird that it's a man speaking. Like I'm like, yeah. I'm like it's such I a loved... uniquely feminine experience. Yeah. But I was so into his accent that I was willing to think it. I loved the accent. <laughs> I was all for it. I was his. There was something about his voice that was yeah. I don't know. It was it was good. It was yeah. soothing. Um, so that was something I did during the two week wait that was actually productive and helpful. Yeah. Well, that's good then. <laughs> Taking care of your, um, your mental health. The best yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we did another transfer um, and they thawed the rest of the embryos and one went to blastocyst. Okay. They, they didn't tell me what the grade of it was at the time, but I suspect now retrospectively that's because it wasn't very good. <laughs> um, 
because they just didn't say very, very much about it. And I didn't ask. Um, I, I don't even know if I, if I didn't know to ask or if maybe I didn't want to ask because it was the only one we had. So I was like, I'm going to buy into this and just go with it. Yeah. And they um, wouldn't have wanted to transfer it if it was, you know, not suitable or it yeah. was of very yeah. poor quality. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I had that done and I, like I, I'd be lying if I could, if I told you I even remember the month, but I did do them back to those first cycles back to back. Um, and then that didn't, that didn't work. Um, and so then we did a debrief with the specialist just talking about, okay, well, what can we, and I was essentially like, I just said to her, look, if this isn't going to work, can you just tell me it's not going to work? Because that's fine. I'll make my peace with it, but I can't go through this endlessly because I've seen that I've seen what it does to people and we've been through enough and she was like Emma (laughs) totally get it but with all due respect you've done one cycle yeah (laughs) and she said you know she just gently explained it's all about data gathering and it's still a very imperfect science and we need all the information and essentially what the information from your first cycle tells us is that your eggs were a bit immature at the point of the first retrieval. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember joking with my husband afterwards and being like, I'm a bit offended. They are not immature. They're, they're, <laughs> I'm an English teacher. These are some very well-read eggs. Yeah. <laughs> We're very protective also, about eggs, aren't we? <laughs> I know. And how's the irony? His sperm's been through cancer, freezing, thawing, and my eggs are immature. Like, that seems unfair. <laughs> um so then she just talked about what we do for subsequent cycles uh and she introduced a third drug which I think started with an L and it was very complicated to use had like came in the powder and oh you had to reconstitute it yourself yes yeah it sounds like Loveris I think it's called yes that's that that is what it was yeah um and I my husband was doing that for me and then one night he'd been out at a work function and he was running late so I did it myself and did an absolute number on myself and bruised myself oh, really no. and he came home and I was just oh, beside, beside myself and he'd come home very merry from his work function and I was like a mess at home oh. <laughs> um but that was the only issue we had with the actual administering of the drugs yeah Um, otherwise it was pretty straightforward and my and Adam did it for me um and for us that worked and I actually felt like it allowed him some insight into just how invasive the whole thing was and I feel like even if it was just for that moment in the day he was very keenly empathetic about what I was going through so and I'm just a bit squeamish I'm I'm totally fine with needles it's not the pain I just don't like watching them go in and when you have to do it yourself to yourself it's yeah it's it's so it's weird isn't it? yeah, yeah yeah and I found it really hard to get the right angle which is why I had bruised myself so oh, badly yeah. with the Laveris one um but I actually it was it was kind of a nice thing that we did together and during that it must it would have been during that second retrieval um that my um sister-in-law called with the news that they were expecting their baby and Mm. it was just this incredibly intense moment of 
totally contradictory feelings. It's very bittersweet, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And we'd literally, I can't remember if we just put, if we just administered the needle or if we were just about to, but we'd like prepared all the stuff and got everything out and used the little alcohol swab and then they called us to tell us. And because we hadn't told any of our family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just this yeah this moment of completely contradictory feelings where we were so thrilled for them and then so and also really excited because we were going through another cycle so maybe that would be us soon and maybe you know their baby would have a cousin and that would be really wonderful but it was also um just a really stark reminder of how hard we were working to try and make it a reality yeah I think so many people um could relate to that you know when finding out news of others falling pregnant and going through IVF yeah and it's so confronting because I think especially you know I think we're all inherently generous about other people's good news so it's really confronting when you have and that we had subsequent um announcements of other people's pregnancies in the period Mm -hmm. that followed And it just, I certainly found it, like I've always been the kind of person, even when Adam was really sick, I could always really enjoy other people's good news. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just found the pull on your heart that you feel when someone gives you this beautiful news so confronting because I, it was like, it was this sort of, I don't want to use the word ugly because of course it's not, it's totally natural, but it feels like this ugly little nasty part of your personality that's poking its head up and it's and it's not because it's totally fair and reasonable but it's I found those conflicting emotions really confronting and I really had to kind of work through them in my mind in terms of not being hard on myself because you don't need the guilt on top of (laughs) no everything else going on definitely not yeah (laughs) Yeah. you've got to let yourself off the hook for something so definitely (laughs) um so then we had the retrieval and um, they got fewer eggs that time. I feel like maybe they got seven from the mm-hmm. second retrieval, Yeah, but they were better quality, um, which I didn't know of at the time, of course. And I just, I, I, there's got to be a better system than writing the number on your hand. Oh, I love that. I, I love waking up and having it on your hand, but yeah, there probably could be other ways, but um you didn't like it it's well you know why I say I didn't like it because the second time I went in I went in with another woman and she was so nervous and we Mm -hmm. were still in kind of lockdown procedure so we were being dropped off by our support people and that was it we did everything else on our own Mm -hmm. and it was her first time and she was incredibly nervous she talked to me about the fact that she felt she'd left it too late to explore I think she was I got the sense that she might have been, um, you know, maybe five years older than I was. She she was just really, really worked up going into it and I tried as best as I could because it was her first one and I'd done it before. I was trying to sort of calmly talk her through what was involved and all of those things. But then we came out the other side and we ended up in the recovery little room together and she just held up her hand to me and she had one. And she just looked so crestfallen and crushed. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, 
there's no one with you when you wake up and see that number necessarily, depending on how quickly you come out of the drugs. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, I just thought about that woman and how she would have felt when she opened her, her eyes and saw that number without someone standing there to kind of reassure her or give her a cuddle or, you know. Um, and they're there so quickly, you know. It's not like they're you have to sit in that moment for a really long time. But I just, that image image of her holding her hand up like that and the look on her face. And for all we know, that worked and that's her baby and that's so mm. amazing. You only, you only need one, right? Of course, um, yeah. But just her, hand, her holding her hand up to me, I <laughs> see it into my mind. So I think that's why I've got a weird hang up about the number. Oh, yeah, I actually never thought of it like that. I guess... I don't know, me doing it, I don't know, maybe I didn't know or see any, I didn't have that um, experience. But now that you pointed it out, I actually, yeah, I never thought of that. I deeply regret telling that story because I really don't want to ruin it for anyone else who's happy and loves it. So sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's all good. But I just, <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, um so that I wasn't hyperstimulated the or at risk of it the second time. So mm-hmm. we went away and they um, we waited. We did the terrible, terrifying wait to see what was going to happen with them. And we got the call. We didn't have because it's bulk billing. They don't do the fancy thing where you get the camera and you can watch them. Um, we just got a call from the embryologist giving us the update about what was happening. And then they called and said they had two really promising embryos um, and that we were going to go ahead with a fresh transfer. And then they, so they both reached blastocysts. Oh, cool. Um, and, and when I went in for the transfer, I should say that in between the first two cycles, the first retrie- the first retrieval and the second, I'd had two failed cycles for different reasons. So one was... I'd psyched myself up, I was ready, and they just didn't have the space to facilitate me. And that was really gutting. And that's obviously one of the risks, I guess, you run when you go through a bulk billing clinic. I assume, yeah, wow. I don't know that that's the case, but I guess I would think that in that with private clinics, they might not face that. Um, and I was just, and it was because of all the reduced numbers, because they had to have a higher staff, staff, um, staff ratio and all of those things. And then the second time, I'd um, the second time I had ovulated too early, so by the time I went in to do my bloods, they'd missed my window, so I couldn't have I couldn't do, go through the process. No, that oh, must wow. have been for okay. a, that must have been for a transfer. That might have been between the first and second transfer. So I say all of that because it was actually the end of twenty. 20 by the time Mm -hmm. I did I went through all of that so the transfer that we had the fresh transfer that we had I was supposed to do the pregnancy test on boxing day so we were right at the end of the year yep um and when I went in that time they gave me more information about the grade they said these are really excellent embryos it's an a-grade blastocyst we're very optimistic about it And I remember the embryologist said, as I was leaving, hopefully this works and then you'll have a sibling for this bubba as we were coming out of the 
um, as I was coming out of the transfer. Oh. And I had, and I just, I, it put so much hope in my heart, her saying that. Like it really did make me feel really, really excited. Fairly yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, um, and lo and behold, I got my period on Christmas Eve. <laughs> oh, no. So. <laughs> oh, that um, sucks. So that, that a couple of days awful. before you were due to test. Oh, no. Yeah. That yeah. sucks. Yep. And I felt like my period was, I did feel like my period was coming. Like I had cramping, but you know how then you convince yourself that it's implantation. Yes. Yeah. And then if you've got bleeding, I say, oh, maybe it's spotting. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's normal. Yeah. It's the implantation bleed. Yeah. Um, So my husband and I initially had lovely. And so also this marks 12 months of his continued recovery. So we were like, oh, my goodness, how incredible would it be? Like we didn't know if you were going to live through last Christmas. How amazing would it be if this Christmas we're pregnant? Like that yeah. would just be so beautiful. Of and course. we were realistic as well and we would remind each other not to get sort of overly excited about it. But we were also planning the logistics of because I quite like a wine. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was like, my family is going to be on to me if I don't drink over like Christmas Day. Yes, yeah. You know, that's the time that you um, everyone brings bottles of bubbles and we all enjoy it. So um, we've been talking a lot about how we were going to logistically manage that. Plus we do like a traveling circus where we go to our families, like from one family's home to the next family's to the next family's and we sleep over and all those sorts of things. So we've been talking about, well, how will we manage it? And then in the end, I got my period on the Christmas Eve and I was just gutted. I was so gutted. I think because of the comment that had been made at the point of transfer, because they had told me what the grade of blastocyst was. Um, And my sister-in-law who had announced her pregnancy, you know, earlier in the year was heavily, heavily pregnant and was expecting her baby in the February of 2021. And, you know, I think in my mind I just had this image of us being able to tell them that we were expecting and it was just all the kind of secret promises you make in your own heart to yourself about the things that might happen if you're lucky enough for it to work and I'd done all of that and then it didn't, you know. And I I, I, I don't know why. It felt worse that it was a period than if it had just been a negative test. I know, I yeah. It's it sounds ridiculous. I don't know why. I think just because it's that's so final then. Like it's like, oh okay. And you don't even get time to psych yourself up for the period coming. Yeah, um, I think because it, it happens you you think in your mind, oh well I'm gonna get the news, you know, on this day. But then when if you get your period, it like ends a few days prior and you're like, Oh, I yeah. wasn't ready to start processing this information as to whether I'm pregnant or not and then all of a sudden you get your period and you're like oh right and then you have to start doing that earlier than you planned I think is I think that's I mean that's what I think had happened to me when that happened yeah when I went through that but yeah it's true isn't it because it's like it's it's closure before you were ready for it yeah yep and I don't know if this happens to everyone but the period that I had after each um cycle was just they were also the worst periods I'd ever had in my adult life like I just I had more uncomfortable periods than I had ever had before 
after each cycle. So I don't know if it was just all of the hormones and everything that was going on, but they were like mega periods. So it's not even like you just get a period. I was getting the worst period ever. And then we had to front up to Christmas and because we hadn't told our families and, and for me, I felt so glad that we hadn't because if we had, then everyone would have got that terrible news at Christmas, but it meant that we had to, front up and psych ourselves up and be really good form for Christmas so that we didn't raise any questions. So that was really intense. And my God love my husband went out on the Christmas Eve. I think it came in the sort of mid morning and I was just a mess. And then he sort of, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to make it a really nice Christmas Eve meal. And then he came home with all the things I wouldn't have been able to eat if I was pregnant. So we had like oysters and soft cheeses and um, champagne and all of the things. Um, nice. And sometimes you just got to do that after a failed cycle. Totally. You just got to drink the champagne, Leaning. eat the nice yeah. food, and just enjoy <laughs> each other's company, even though you'd rather not be drinking. You'd rather be celebrating a pregnancy, but sometimes you yeah. just got to come together and enjoy those nice uh, little things together. Totally. Um, and so we did, and we psyched ourselves up, and, you know, we had a really nice Christmas. And I think. Going through what we went through with Adam gave us very, very profound perspective on just what's really important, but it also made us very resilient because of course, yeah, we'd just been living this terrifying reality and kind of getting on with everything. So, and, and we'd also sort of forged a very, very close bond going through what we went through with Adam that then lent itself to going through all the IVF stuff as well. Um, but I also did say, (laughs) I'm not doing another one. This is awful. I hate it. I don't feel myself. I'm miserable. You know, I can't keep putting myself through this and I need a break before I even think about trying this last embryo. And I think Mm -hmm. knowing it was going to be the last one and then I was going to have to do another retrieval as well, just, it all just felt too big. Yep. Um, and my husband was super supportive and he was just like hundred percent if, you know, let's just take it off the table and then we'll talk about it when we feel like talking about it again. Yep. So how and long so was your break? Of two, so I have the, the last embryo I had transferred on February the 28th of 2021. Okay. So, so you had, yeah, a couple months off, so months. Christmas and then you were ready to go in February. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I was still, to be honest, I actually, so um, I broke and I told my sister (laughs) Um, (laughs) because we went away together, I think it was late January and I'm really, really close with my sister and my mum. And it was very hard for me not to tell them at any point of the process. Mm -hmm. And my sister had been gently probing about like, you know, what are you going to do? And are you going to like, because we, we we had placated our families by telling them we've met with the fertility specialist, but because of all the COVID restrictions, it's a long way off. So we'd bought ourselves some time, but also reassured them that we were exploring babies and, you know, um, that kind of gave us a bit of breathing space. And then my sister and I were driving down to down the coast for a holiday and she hit me up about it and was like so at what point are you just going to cough up the money and go to a private clinic if you just can't get into this 
fog build one, you know, like with all the um, delays and everything. Mm-hmm. And I and I just melted. I was like, okay, so, <laughs> and just told her the whole sorry story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that actually bolstered me because she, we were walking, so we, ha- we started the conversation in the car and finished it on the beach. And I can so vividly remember we were walking down the beach and I was so crestfallen. I was so over it. I was really depleted. And she was like, Em, I know this has been so hard for you, but I'm so excited. I'm so hopeful. This is amazing. You and Adam are exploring this. Aww, you know, she she sweet. came at it with totally fresh eyes. Yeah. And then it like I was like, oh, like it topped me up enough to do the next one. Yeah. So maybe there's something to be said for sort of staggering <laughs> telling people because I think feeding into other people's energy is a really helpful way. Yeah. And actually with the with the one that I had, with my final one that I had, I leaned into more of my girlfriends as well and I just said to them, like, in, in kind of confidence, this is what Adam and I have been going through. I'm feeling really negative and cynical about it. Can you just combine all of your lovely vibes and just channel positivity at it so that I feel like I've checked that off my list of things to do because I just don't have it in me right now. So, but I feel like if I can outsource all of that optimism and get you guys to generate it, um, I've, I've looked after that and I don't have to feel guilty about, cause you know, you buy into the magical thinking thing, don't you? Cause you think, Oh, if I don't think it's going to work and it won't work and then I'll feel terrible that I thought that it wasn't going to. And it's just, such a horrible head game the whole thing Mm -hmm. um and that was actually really amazing because my girlfriends after I asked my girlfriends to do that they kind of really shared some beautiful sentiments and thoughts and feelings and I just kind of was really cocooned for the last of the of that um that last little embryo yeah (laughs) was very buffered in love um and then I did have my sister's support for that last cycle and she made me promise that if it didn't work I would tell my mum because she was like mum will want to know this mum will want to hold your hand through this you have to tell mum and I'm like I just want to be able to tell mum I'm pregnant I just want to be able to give my mum this gift of this beautiful news and she said oh you have to tell mum if this one if this doesn't work like or I'm gonna tell her (laughs) um so that that really buoyed me and then we had we had that last embryo transferred on the 28th of Feb. And what was the outcome? <laughs> <laughs> My beautiful little boy, William. <laughs> Aww, that's awesome. Who, <laughs> who was born on the 20th of November last year. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so he was the last little embryo that could. <laughs> so it sounds like, um, yeah, getting that support from your sister and your girlfriend, it sounded like they came, al- you know, came along at the right time just to give you that totally. bit extra support. Um, and so that that transfer was pretty straightforward and it was you just got told to test on that certain day. Do you want to tell us what it was like when you saw, you know, the po- positive pregnancy test? Sure. Was Adam yeah. with you? Awesome. <laughs> um, he was. Um, I, f- I feel like I need to just give one, like, picture of the day that I had the transfer yep so it was catastrophic it was like 
because I, I made that sound all very romantic. I had all this love surrounding me, but the actual day <laughs> of the transfer, I like, I was running late. I'd driven myself. I couldn't get a park. Then I got a park. And as I was walking out of the park, I was in such a fluster to get in there that a boom gate came down and literally crashed me on, crashed down <gasps> on my head. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, I was just like oh my god this is it this is an omen this one's not going to work either and then I got into the clinic and they were really um under the pump because the specialist that was doing the transfers had been called away to an emergency mm-hmm. um so it was it was hours and hours behind so like it, the wait went on and on and then there was a poor woman who was like beside herself because she she was due at a work function and no one knew she was trying and she didn't know what to do and there was another woman who had to be at school pick up and it was just like it was the least calm <laughs> of any of the transfers it was so stressful and I was sitting I was sitting in a room and I was crying and I was trying to listen to a meditation because I was trying to calm myself down yeah get into that headspace I was literally like everything that can go wrong has gone wrong this is a disaster (laughs) like it's definitely not gonna work um so I tell that story because sometimes it can really feel like (laughs) you know the shit's hit the fan and nothing's going your way and sometimes your baby still comes and you're really stressed and you're really aggravated and you're not your best self (laughs) And I think everyone tells you to relax and no one says you can be really highly stressed and nervous and worried and still have your baby. Like you you know, that embryo might still go the distance because the pressure to be calm is just the most ridiculous, ironic thing in the world when you're going through this process that's so stressful. Um, But, yeah, so (laughs) that was the only time this William (laughs) was the only time I tested early. Oh, okay. Because I was working and I was working part-time. So I was due to test on the Wednesday morning, but I had the Tuesday off on my timetable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to my husband, I don't know if I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can front up to work if I do the test on the Wednesday morning and it's negative. I just don't think I can, like I'm, I'm, I'm so strung out. I'm so, and I had, intense implantation cramping with mm-hmm. William. Like I was convinced my period was coming. I would have I would have sworn that it was coming. But prior to the cramping, I had had symptoms that I'd never had before. Like I was quite breathless and I had just noticed a few funny things that made me think, oh maybe like this mm-hmm. feels this feels weird. Um but then I had such bad cramping that I was absolutely convinced. Like I spoke to one of my girlfriends and I was crying and I said, that's it. Like it hasn't worked. I know it hasn't worked because I can feel my period coming. This is what happened last time. Um, and so it was like three o'clock in the morning. So my husband and I decided I'd do the test on the Tuesday morning. And then that mm-hmm. way, if it didn't, if, if it was a negative, then I'd have the day to kind of, you know, hide yeah um, and process it after myself totally and then and I you know I'm a teacher so it's a front-facing job you could when you go to work you've got to be you know available to people and switched on and it's not like you can hide in your office all day um so we agreed that I do it early in the the early hours of the Tuesday or early on the Tuesday morning before he went to work and before um I um yeah, before he went to work so that we could process it together and then I could have the day. Anyway, I think it was at like three o'clock in the morning 
on the Tuesday morning. I couldn't sleep. I was so restless. I couldn't sleep. I listened to every meditation I downloaded and I was just like <laughs> at my wits end and I was like so convinced it was negative and I thought that's it. I'm just going to get up and do the test because it's going to be negative and then I can at least just sleep. I can cry and I can sleep and I can just get it over with. And so I didn't wake up Adam or anything because I, I was honestly, I really, really believed that I was going to see a negative. And then I mm-hmm. went in and I did the test <laughs> and there was a really, really, cause it was like this, like I said, it was like the no name brand test. It doesn't say yeah. yes, you're pregnant or no, you're not pregnant. It just had the two lines. Yeah. And I was like, it was very faint, but it was there. But I thought I was going crazy because it was three o'clock in the morning and I had been torturing myself for hours. And I like, my heart leapt out of my chest and I rush into the room and I'm like, Adam, Adam, wake up, wake up. I need you to have a look at something for me. And he's like, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he he's like what what and I'm like come into the bathroom come into the bathroom and I show it to him and I'm like is that a line and he's like rubbing his bleary eyes he's like he's like is that is that what I think it is and I'm like yeah and he's like yeah it's a line like it's faint but it's a line and then we're both like beside ourselves and then we're like it felt so surreal and we're going like oh my god what are we doing and it's three o'clock in the morning and Adam's like we need to sleep I have to go to work to get to work at some point and I'm I'm like I think I should do another one because I had two of the tests yeah and I said but I I'm out of wee like (laughs) and he's like (laughs) I need to drink some more so I had a big drink of water and then we went in and we laid down in the bed and we were just kind of talking to each other about oh my goodness like what if maybe this is it like you know, we was, there was no chance of us sleeping. So we of just course, sort of like no. had a cuddle and had a chat. And then I was like, okay, I, I need to go again. And I said, oh, actually, because I had bought some of the um, like early detect ones that say yes or no. Oh, yeah, yep. yep. Or whatever they say. I think it's yes or no. Anyway, so I'm like, oh, actually, I've got this other brand. And Adam's like, why didn't you do that one to begin with? Like, why have we put ourselves through this line fiasco? Anyway. <laughs> So I went in and did that one and then it was a yes. And then we were just like literally jumping up and down. And I had the weirdest reaction, I think, because I'd been holding so much tension and so much nervous energy. I just could not stop laughing. Like I just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed <laughs> like a hysterical person. Like Adam was just like, what is happening? And I'm like, I can't stop. I just laughed for hours. And then every time I thought about it, I laughed some more. It was so weird. But I think it's it your just way of letting that emotion. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. It was just expelling all of that tension and all of that nervous energy. And it just was coming out of me. And it was so therapeutic. But I just couldn't stop laughing and then of course I've got the data myself but what do you do when you're five seconds pregnant and you're on your own so I'm like so of course I could call my sister because I had told her so we we facetimed her and we showed her and she was just beside herself so we kind of were able to enjoy that together and then we went up and Adam got a coffee and we were sort of chatting in the car and it was so weird because it was early hours of the morning and we you know we hadn't slept and it was just it felt like this very surreal beautiful space that we inhabited for that little Mm -hmm. while where we were like daring to be optimistic enough that it actually had worked and then over the next few days the line got darker so I, I let them know that I'd had a positive test and they say oh that's wonderful test again in 
three days and the HCG levels should be higher and that should work. Um, but um, I'm so sorry. I think my son's crying and I need to tell my husband because he can't hear him. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm just going <kidding. laughs> so, um, to text him. I'll, I'll multitask to you while I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, you're, de- you're definitely a mum then. That's so um, funny. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, it was, it was beautiful. And then I got to, you know, I had that beautiful moment where I just got to tell my mum I was pregnant, which was so wonderful. I bet that would have been such a good day. Oh. It was the, it was second to, the, well, up until that point, it was, it was as wonderful as my wedding day, being able to tell oh. that. It was so, so amazing. It was so precious. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's such a happy ending like for you guys to go through that you know cancer diagnosis and then to go through IVF and then yeah it's just insane but to have such a happy ending and yeah have a little boy now is is just the best Uh, we can't we can't believe our luck like when we think about it we just think it still feels just too good to be true it's hard to it's hard to fathom that it's real life really for us yeah oh you guys deserve it that's so amazing do you um I mean I know your little boy's only a few months old but have you sort of got in the back of your mind will you have more children um um yes we will um I think we Adam and I both have one sibling each um -hmm. and he um he and I both Sorry, sorry, I'm racing around the house. William's being looked after now. I can concentrate again. Um, <laughs> it's just like I was just talking to you and signing to my husband at the same time. Go in there, and he's asleep, and it's all happening. But okay, um, <laughs> we we think we will. We don't know at this stage whether we would try naturally because there's we're sort of past the point of the um, chemotherapy. Because sperm regenerates, we could potentially try again naturally. Oh, cool. Because, um, yeah, that was my next question, how how all that worked. Okay. Yeah. So um, we've sort of been given a bit of a go-ahead in terms of it. Adam's got a clean bill of health. It's, it will have been long enough by the time we want to try to try naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, we've also got the because – I, because I just don't know – if there was something happening for me as well um, because we had tried before and all of those things. So we've still got sperm frozen and we would, we can, we can access that service again and go through IVF again if we end up needing to. Mm -hmm. And as crazy as it sounds, I think when you've, you know, it's when you've had the experience of having, it results in a beautiful little baby. You think I can face that again. <laughs> like, yeah, I can you can do, do it again. Yeah. 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 Oh, such a wonderful story. Is there anything else you wanted to add um, a message you wanted to give the listeners before we finish up here? Um, just that you, it, it will feel on some days like you really just can't do it. And you'll be really hard on yourself and it's in it's unavoidable 
because there's hormones in the mix. So it doesn't matter how many promises you make to yourself at the beginning of your cycle, you're going to have a crazy lady moment. Like that's, <laughs> that's going to happen for you. <laughs> um, and I think you can feel really, really, really low and you can feel absolutely convinced that it's not going to work and you can still have your baby. And I think that it's, just forgiving yourself and not buying into the idea that you have to be this serene, calm goddess and that if you're not, you're not creating a perfect environment for your baby because I was incredibly stressed and agitated and cynical by the last cycle and we got a beautiful, happy, chilled little baby boy. Um, So just be really gentle with yourself, as gentle with yourself as you can and invite people into your space who are going to be gentle with you as well. Um, But also give yourself permission to have moments where you're not your best self because they'll come and (laughs) you're entitled to them. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, just hang in there because it's you can you can do it, babe. (laughs) That's my message. (laughs) Yep. No, that's great advice. Thank you so much, Emma, for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for telling these stories because they really helped me when I was going through it. I just felt less alone when I was listening to them. Oh, that's so great to hear. And that's definitely the reason behind the podcast. So thank you so much for that feedback. Thank you for listening to another episode of IVF Tales. Would you like to share your tale? Click on the SurveyMonkey link below and I'll get in touch with you.